Welcome to Eddie Hurst's podcast version of The War of the Worlds. Well, hey there. It's me, Eddie Hurst, and welcome to Eddie Hurst's podcast version of The War of the Worlds. Welcome back. Or if this is your first time, hi. This is a show where each week we read a chapter of The War of the Worlds and go off on spirals of research, sketches, and songs. Also, you've missed two whole chapters. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Go back and listen to them. Right. Now they've gone, I'll do a recap. Suckers! Last week, Ogilvy went to see the cylinder and was shocked to discover that he believed Martians to be within the cylinder. Coming back with Henderson, they were presumed insensible or dead. News was telegraphed to the papers, and the world is beginning to hear of this strange crash landing. Will the object stop unscrewing and reveal the dead men from Mars? How will the general public respond? If you're enjoying the podcast, thank you so much. Please tell people, subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends. If you've got a second to spare, just sling a review on whatever podcast provider you're listening to. It does really help get the word out with this. And also you can follow me on Eddie Hurst on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook for the latest podcast news. Okay, here we go. Chapter 3 On Horsel Common I found a little crowd of perhaps twenty people surrounding the huge hole in which the cylinder lay. I have already described the appearance of that colossal bulk embedded in the ground. The turf and gravel about it seemed charred as if by a sudden explosion. No doubt its impact had caused a flash of fire. Henderson and Ogilvy were not there. I think they perceived that nothing was to be done for the present, and had gone away to breakfast at Henderson's house. There were four or five boys sitting on the edge of the pit, with their feet dangling and amusing themselves until I stopped them by throwing stones at the giant mass. After I spoke to them about it, they began playing touch in and out of the group of bystanders. Hey, it's me, the explaining lad. I'm a teenager now and I got loads of angst and I don't give a clue about what you think. Anyway, whatever. Touch is like taking it. I'm out of here. Among these there were a couple of cyclists, a jobbing gardener I employed sometimes, a girl carrying a baby, Greg the butcher and his little boy, two or three loafers and golf caddies who were accustomed to hang about the railway station. There was very little talking. Few of the common people in England had anything but the vaguest astronomical ideas in those days. Most of them were staring quietly at the huge table-like end of the cylinder, which was still as Ogilvy and Henderson had left it. I fancy the popular expectation of a heap of charred corpses was disappointed at this inanimate bulk. You know, reading that bit, you think like, poof, bit harsh, Wells. But actually, Victorians bloody loved a good old horror show. You know, like, um, like even even the circuses and that. They all had sideshows of creepy stuff that you could see in. They also loved public hangings. Mad for a hanging. Just anything creepy the Victorians were into. They were big into stuff that was presented weirdly. They really wanted to see horrors. Some went away while I was there and other people came. I clambered into the pit and fancied I heard a faint movement under my feet. The top had certainly ceased to rotate. It was only when I got thus close to it that the strangeness of this object was at all evident to me. 
At the first glance, it was really no more exciting than an overturned carriage or a tree blown across the road. Not so much so indeed. It looked like a rusty gas float. Oh my god, what do you want from me? Fine, I'll explain more stuff. A gas float's like a thing that you put into gas to float it up. You know, like gasoline, like in a car, like it floats up and you can see how much petrol you have in your car. That's what it means, like gas float, but it's like for, for gas rather than for a tank of petrol. God! It required a certain amount of scientific education to perceive that the grey scale of the thing was no common oxide. That the yellowish-white metal that gleamed in the crack between the lid and the cylinder had an unfamiliar hue. Extraterrestrial had no meaning for most of the onlookers. At that time, it was quite clear in my own mind that the thing had come from the planet Mars. But I judged it improbable that it contained any living creature. I thought the unscrewing might be automatic. In spite of Ogilvy, I still believed that there were men in Mars. My mind ran fancifully on the possibilities of its containing manuscript, on the difficulties in translation that might arise, whether we should find coins and models in it. I felt an impatience to see it that in in order of his most desired objects there, which you got a manuscript. If there's no manuscript, you'll take coins. And at a push, if there's no coins, you'll take models. And like, I don't want to have a go at him, but all, all I'm saying is he seems like a really easy secret Santa. I got you a book, mate. Good luck. I, I don't know what language it is. Good luck with that. Oh, well, do you want some coins? About 11. As nothing seemed happening, I walked back, full of such thought, to my home in Maybury but I found it difficult to get to work upon my abstract investigations. In the early afternoon, the appearance of the common had altered very much. The early editions of the evening papers had startled London with the enormous headline. Message received from Mars. Remarkable story from Woking. And so forth. And so forth is far and away his most favorite phrase in this chapter. In addition, Ogilvy's wire to the Astronomical Exchange had roused every observatory in the Three Kingdoms. Uh, why'd you want me again? God, I'm trying to spend time with my girlfriend. Now I'm a teenager and I have a social life and relationships. The Three Kingdoms, it's a phrase that comes from the British Civil Wars between 1639 and 1651. Durbrain. And those Three Kingdoms are England, Scotland and Ireland. I don't know why Wales isn't there. Duh-duh. There were half a dozen flies or more from the Woking station standing in the road by the sandpit, a basket chase from Chobham, and a rather lordly carriage. Besides that, there was quite a heap of bicycles. Not that he could bloody ride any of them. In addition, a large number of people must have walked in, in spite of the heat of the day, from Woking and Chertsey, so that there was altogether quite a considerable crowd, one or two gaily dressed ladies among the others. It was glaringly hot. Not a cloud in the sky, nor a breath of wind, and the only shadow was that of the few scattered pine trees. The burning heather had been extinguished, but the level ground towards Ottershaw was blackened as far as one could see, and still giving off vertical streamers of smoke. Metaphor alert! Metaphor alert! Blackened as far as the eye could see, streamers of smoke. Incoming danger! <laughs> An enterprising sweetstuff dealer in the Chobham Road had sent up his son with a barrel load of green apples and ginger beer. 
It's not just a cylinder crash landing in Surrey that will bring out the punters for a slice of extraterrestrial tourism. In fact, nowadays, across the planet, you can take a trip to an experience that is literally OUT OF THIS WORLD! Disclaimer, after this world experience may be completely made up to make money out of no good stuff, all experiences are strictly paid on Earth and nowhere else. So join me now as we look at the top five tourist opportunities for those hungry for a little slice of that interstellar cash cow pie. I'd like to preface this beforehand by saying that I absolutely love these sorts of bizarre attractions. I worked at theme parks for years purely as a means to surround myself by this sort of stuff. You know, from the naff to the outrageously expensive recreations of a mouse's humble abode, I'm very much on board with this stuff. Number 5. Coming straight out the streets of Wiltshire. It's the Crop Circle Exhibition Centre. Have you ever seen crops? Can you imagine a circle in them? What might have caused that circle? Are you absolutely sure? Crop circles are hands down, for my money, the most British alien evidence imaginable. Well, if I, an Englishman, were an alien seeking a capricious trick upon our beloved Britannia, I think the most devious ploy would be a devilish design in the local farmer's crops. <laughs> and twirling moustaches on a, on a penny farthing. Whilst many may think that an intricate design found in the field of someone that owns all of the equipment and geographical necessity to produce said design may seem an open and shut case, that hasn't stopped alien seekers across the world looking beyond the most logical answer. This exhibition is the world's best, and only, presentation on the history and world of crop circles and found in what looks like an absolutely delightful cafe from a converted mill. Set course for Twee Island! That's the UK, the UK's Twee Island. Number 4. Wycliffe Well, Australia. And I'd like you all to appreciate that for most British people, the moment the word Australia is even mentioned, they try and do the accent. So it's really good of me to not do the accent there. You're welcome. Number 4. Travelling to the other side of the world, we're going to Wycliffe Well, Australia's hotspot for UFO sightings. Are you worried about invaders from another planet? Want to keep an eye on whatever the hell they think they're doing up there? Well, why not bring your whole family to this campsite for a remarkably reasonable price? It's like, what is it? That's a... About... £8 a night. And they say you can't put a price on the joy of UFOs. Well, I mean, actually, nobody said that. That's kind of the point of all these tourist sites, isn't it? Number three! Roswell McDonald's. Roswell, New Mexico. Home of a supposed alien crash landing in the 1940s. And... More importantly, home to the only UFO-themed McDonald's in the world! What? As if there was a risk of there being an alien-themed McDonald's somewhere else. Roswell is a major site for UFO enthusiasts across the planet. No surprise, then, that the cogs of commerce should shunt the engine of economics lurching towards the birthplace of US UFO spotting. And where there's profit, there's gonna be a Macadese. Uh, so it's like, it's just a, it's like a, pretty basic McDonald's, but also it's in the shape of a flying saucer and it has sort of alien-style stickers all over the place. And, you know, this is all very impressive, but I happen to know that there's a McDonald's in Florida where you can order spaghetti. So uh, which one of these really sounds like it's from another planet? Number two, E.T. Jerky. Area 51 in Nevada is, along with Roswell, New Mexico, as mentioned before, one of the most renowned parts of the world for UFO sightings, starting since the Second World War. It also just happens to be another place where, at the same time as said sightings were starting to get there, big US military aircraft facilities researching new flying machines were also underway. But they're definitely unrelated. 
I mean, if anything, uh, the obvious answer is that it must be because of the US aircrafts that the aliens came there, right? They're the aliens, they probably just wanted to play, like, aircraft kart racing. That's, that's the connection, innit? Hey there, Earthy. You got a jet plane? Well, I got a jet plane. What do you say we put these boys to the test in a race-off? I'm imagining that like Greece, you know, the Greece race-off. But what's better than a journey than the destination? And the extraterrestrial highway definitely delivers. The highway itself is a 98-mile route north of Area 51, combining the great American love of burning fuel with government conspiracies. There are a number of stops along the extraterrestrial highway, with a few museums and a bar and hotel called like the Ale Inn, or the Ailey Inn, Ale Inn. It's like it's wordplay that works better on paper than me explaining it here. But for my money, the ET Jerky rest stop has got to be the best feature. Renowned for selling that alien treat we all know and love, and absolutely associate with extraterrestrial life, dried cured meat. Legitimately though, I do love the amount of enthusiasm that UFO tourism places have towards their areas. You know, like, you can look at all these places online, or hey, why not in person if you can get there, although probably can't at the moment. And they all look like really earnest and sincere, and they're like local, small, independent businesses celebrating UFO spotting. And regardless of whether they're real or not, there's a lot of love in these small independent places that are putting into encouraging the communities, and that's that's fine, isn't it, you know? Like, UFO spotting, it's one of these things that isn't really hurting anyone, is it? Like, nobody's getting injured by believing that there are creatures out there in space, unless you get, like, in a fist fight, arguing with somebody about it, or, or you believe the probing stories. Number one, Alamo Gordo Landfill. Wait, a landfill? Are you kidding? Well, like, is there old spaceship bits in, in the landfill? Or or maybe people have claimed to find alien corpses, but they've turned out to be old turnips or dead dogs? No! Alamo Gordo Landfill is a spot in New Mexico where evidence of E.T. has been proven! What? Okay, not quite. So in the early 80s, Atari was king of the video game market, set to release the greatest movie game tie-in the world had ever seen. It was, of course, the Steven Spielberg classic, E.T. Of the games Steven Spielberg made, E.T. is the one that will make the best video game, obviously. Now, Atari's action plan for this was uh, to create the game to lock a single coder in a room for two weeks to create it based on the fact that Steven Spielberg liked what he did with another Indiana Jones game. Howard Scott Warshaw, the designer in question, is now a psychologist specialising in therapy for coders and designers, and these two are definitely linked. Needless to say, Forcing someone to hastily produce a video game tie-in for a film based around the love between a boy and an alien led to less than ideal results. Uh, the game tanked and led to an industry-wide crash. I mean, it's, it's regarded as causing the crash. It's probably not fair to actually say that because really it's probably more of a symptom of the crash. You know, like the decision to lock somebody in a, in a cupboard for two weeks to make a game is probably the reason why the industry was, was struggling. But this gives it a better narrative twist to hook it on, doesn't it? Yeah. So what's this got to do with landfill? Well, in 1983, Atari had, to use the technical term, a crapload of unused ET cartridges. Hey, remember cartridges? Used to blow on them to play on the console. Yellow cartridges, Strindberg, yellow cartridges. And they had nowhere to put them, so the urban myth for decades was that they buried them out in a desert or in a landfill, never to see the light of day again. A shame, hidden for a generation. And, uh, of course, as you can probably guess, by the fact that I'm, I'm saying this in the past tense and that it's on the list, that's clearly not the case. And in 2014, the remains of one of the biggest flops in video game history was rediscovered by a team 
with Howard himself in attendance. They had like a big, they had like a big un, un, unpaving where they got loads of uh, got loads of cranes and diggers and things. And Howard was invited to see whether it was actually true. Uh, and then it actually was true. They found loads of content. It wasn't just ET, but it was largely ET because they were the least sold. So, am I really putting a landfill in as the best extraterrestrial themed attraction? Uh, I mean, it, yeah, yeah, I am, but, I mean, not exactly. I mean, it's just the best story of the minute. It's nice to get it out. And, you know, to be fair, you could you could probably do this and the Roswell McDonald's on the same trip, because you've only got about two and a half hours of a drive between them, which, in American travel time, that's not actually that bad, you know? Like, maybe? Anyway, rest assured, wherever there are gatherings of people, you're sure to find someone trying to sell them something. Thanks, capitalism! Although green apples and ginger beer is a pretty tame by the standards of Victorian souveniring at the time. You know, if you were a bystander going to enjoy the beloved British pastime of watching a wrongan get hung, you could purchase everything from old school porn mags, books of jokes, and poetry. Books of jokes and poetry, and in special cases, colour printed illustrations of the accused getting their just desserts. And it's not it's them getting hung, somebody draws a picture of them getting hung and tries to sell it. Pretty grim. Charles Dickens said that a sight so inconceivably awful as the wickedness and levity of the immense crowd could be imagined by no man. So maybe just being able to buy jerky and go to McDonald's isn't as bad as what you could get back then. To use uh, to use my famous catchphrase, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Going to the edge of the pit. I found it occupied by a group of about half a dozen men, Ogilvy, Henderson, and a tall, fair-haired man that I afterwards learnt was Stent, the Astronomer Royal, with several workmen wielding spades and pickaxes. Stent was giving directions in a clear, high-pitched voice. He was standing on the cylinder, which was now evidently much cooler. His face was crimson and streaming with perspiration, and something seemed to have irritated him. A large portion of the cylinder had been uncovered, though its lower end was still embedded. As soon as Ogilvy saw me among the staring crowd on the edge of the pit, he called me to come down, and asked me if I would mind going over to see Lord Hilton, the Lord of the Manor. The Lord of the Manor! The growing crowd, he said, was becoming a serious impediment to their excavations, especially the boys. I can't excavate because of all the boys. They're calling me names. They wanted a light railing put up and helped to keep the people back. He told me that a faint stirring was occasionally still audible within the case, but that the workmen failed to unscrew the top as it afforded no grip to them. The case appeared to be enormously thick, and it was possible that the faint sound we heard represented a noisy tumult in the interior. I was very glad to do as asked, and so become one of the privileged spectators within the contemplated enclosure. I failed to find Lord Hilton at his house, but I was told he was expected from London by six o'clock train from Waterloo, and as it was then about a quarter past five, I went home, had some tea, and walked up to the station to waylay him.
Will our narrator manage to waylay the Lord of the Manor? How large will the crowd grow? Will this goddamn cylinder ever actually open? Imagine if you were reading this monthly like you had to do when it was originally published and you got three months into this book about Martians. And how many Martians have there been so far? Zero. Also, how has this guy managed to go from the manor to his house, have tea, and then get to the station within 45 minutes? That's some liquid life skills. If he's this quick, why does he even need a bike? Find out all of this and more in Chapter 4. The Cylinder Opens. Well, I mean, I guess that's one of the questions answered. We know this cylinder's gonna open. God damn it. How the hell am I supposed to build up intrigue now? Eddie Hurst's podcast version of The War of the Worlds is produced by Eddie Hurst, written by H.G. Wells and Eddie Hurst. The theme song, Fall of Saigon, is written and performed by Ichabod Wolf. Extra research this week, thanks to the Working Class Movement Library for the info on public hangings. Please subscribe and rate the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And follow Eddie Hurst on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, uh, it's just my name, for the latest podcast news. Okay, thanks. See you next week when the cylinder opens. Bye-bye!